welcome everybody. It's horse hide to cow hide, America's pastime. Featuring your host, Ricky Litwinkowicz. Welcome everybody to Horse Hide to Cow Hide, America's pastime. It's Ricky. Hope you guys had a great week. And we welcome you to another great edition of Baseball History. It's All-Star Week here on the show. We also have Mark and Enzo returning this week to give their outlooks and analysis on some of these baseball memories. Get ready to go. The voting is over. The games have now begun. Play ball! July 5th, 1898. Lizzie Stroud Arlington becomes the first woman to play organized baseball when she pitches for Reading in the Eastern League. Some believe she also pitched in Atlantic League exhibition games after being hired by Ed Barrow, the league's president. July 5th, 1947. Larry Doby of the Indians becomes the first black to appear in the American League when he strikes out as a pinch hitter against Chicago hurler Earl Harris. The 23-year-old former Newark Eagle standout will play in the major leagues for 13 years, amassing 1,515 hits, just three less than Jackie Robinson. July 5th, 1991. In a unanimous vote, the final approval is given by baseball owners for the Rockies and the Marlins to join the National League in 1993. The addition of the two new franchises brings the senior circuit total to 14, with the placement of Colorado in the West Division and Florida joining the NL East. July 5th, 1998. Blue Jay right-hander Roger Clemens strikes out Devil Rays outfielder Randy Wynn to record his 3,000th career strikeout. The Rocket is the 11th pitcher in Major League history to reach the coveted milestone. Wow, Tim Welke is really widening the plate now. Well, Clemens, one strike away from hitting the 3,000 mark, and the fans here at Skydome on their feet. Wynn has been tough with two strikes. And he's out on strikes reaching. That's 3,000 for Roger Clemens who strikes out the side. Roger Clemens becomes the 11th Major League pitcher to hit the 3,000 mark. Devil Rays go down. One, two, three. July 6th, 1933. At Chicago's Comiskey Park, the first ever All-Star game is played. Babe Ruth's third inning two-run homer off Bill Hallahan proves to be the difference when the American League defeats the senior circuit 4-2. July 6, 1953. In his first Major League start, 24-year-old right-hander Al Worthington throws a two-hitter, blanking the Phillies 6-0. The Giants rookie, known as Red, will become the first National League freshman to throw consecutive shutouts at the start of a career 
when he repeats the feat in his next outing, blanking the Dodgers 6-0. July 6th, 1986. At Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, first baseman Bob Horner becomes the 11th major leaguer to hit four home runs in a game. However, three of the four homers are solo shots, allowing the Expos to beat the Braves 11-8. Only 10 players have ever hit four in one game. That's one of baseball's most coveted records. There are two outs in the ninth inning. Reardon delivers. There's a fly ball. Deep left center field. Right looking up. He did it. He did it. Bob Horner has become the 11th player in baseball history to hit four homers in one game. It's 11 to 8. And he'll have to make at least one curtain call here, maybe more than one. He got a breaking ball and becomes the 11th player in Major League history to hit four homers in one game. His name is in the record books. July 6th, 2000. Vin Scully, age 72, is voted the number one sportscaster of the 20th century by members of the American Sportscasters Association. The Dodger veteran broadcaster's 51-year career has included play-by-play -play of 25 fall classics and a dozen all-star games. July 7, 1923. The Indians become the first American League team to score a run in every inning when they rout Boston 27-3 in the first game of a doubleheader at Cleveland's Dunn Field. The Tribe tallies nearly half their runs in the sixth inning, crossing the plate 13 times in a contest that takes only 2 hours and 10 minutes to complete. July 7, 1948 on his 42nd birthday, Negro League legend Satchel Paige signs a contract to pitch for the Indians. Though viewed by many as another publicity stunt by team owner Bill Veck, the crafty right-hander will finish the season 6-1 for the eventual world champions. July 7, 1964. In the only All-Star game ever played at Shea Stadium, the National League evens the all-time series at 18 victories for each circuit by beating the American League 7-4, with a dramatic ninth-inning rally which includes a three-run homer by Philly slugger Johnny Callison. Home team second baseman Ron Hunt becomes the first Mets player selected as a starter in the Midsummer Classic. More than 50,000 in Shea Stadium near the New York World's Fairgrounds watch the All-Star Game. These are action highlights. With John Wyatt of Kansas City pitching for the American League, Billy Williams hits to right center, clearing the fence for a home run. This fourth-inning round-tripper by the Chicago Cubs slugger ties up the ball game at one off. Ken Boyer of the Cardinals also gets hold of one of Wyatt's offerings. 
over the left center wall for another home run. And that gives the Nationals the lead two to one. The news of the day sports camera is equipped with a new zoom lens to bring you full field view and close up this midsummer baseball classic. In the national fifth, Dick Grode, also of St. Louis, lines one to left center, which Killebrew just cannot reach. It goes for a double and brings home Roberto Clemente from first base. The Nationals lead three to one. With Chris Short pitching in the American League sixth, Brooks Robinson sends a liner which Willie Mays desperately dives for but misses in right center. Mantle and Killebrew, who had singled, score on the triple by the Baltimore third base star. The score is now even at 3-3. More highlights. In the seventh, Jim Fregosi of L.A. hits a sacrifice fly. And when Howard beats Mays throw to the plate, the American League takes a 4-3 lead. Bottom of the ninth. The tension is great as Willie Mays leads on. It's a pro National League crowd with coach Casey Stengel shouting encouragement to the San Francisco All-Star. Mays draws a walk and the fans know what he'll try now. The next batter, Orlando Cepeda swings. Mays steals second, a record sixth steal in All-Star play. Cepeda also plays for San Francisco. And here he drops a blooper single near the right field foul line. It's a hit because Mays had thrown the defense out of position. Reaching third, a throwing error next sends him streaking home with the tying run. What a man. Later, with two out, two men on, reliever Dick Radatz faces Johnny Callison. And there it goes. That's the ball game. A three-run homer by the sensational young star of the equally sensational Philadelphia Phillies. Allison Circuit Cloud gives the Nationals a 7-4 victory to even the All-Star Game Series at 17 games apiece with one time. This is Enzo Pontrella, contributor to Horsehide to Cowhide, America's pastime. July 7th, 1964 All-Star Game. The 1964 All-Star Game has been described as one of the most exciting ever as the National League came from behind to win in the dramatic ninth inning rally. Red Sox ace Dick Raddix was on the mound and had already thrown two hitless innings. Willie Mays, in the top at bat, got the walk and then stole second. Orlando Cepeda followed with a soft looper to right field, scoring Mays due to a bad Joe Pepitone throw to the plate. Two quick outs and a walk later, Johnny Callison hammered a fastball to the right field stands, scoring three runs, giving the Nationals their sixth win in seven games and finally evening up the series. That homer was the greatest thrill of my life, but I remember thinking that it was only the beginning. It was going to be the Phillies year. We had everything going our way. Everything. Johnny Callison. The victory by the National League during the 1964 All-Star Game made the series history tied at 17 win apiece. Did you know that this was the first Midsummer Classic played in Chase Stadium? The dramatic Johnny Callison home run off ace closure Dick Raddix earned him his first and only All-Star Most Valuable Player Award. Amunzo Pontrelli, contributor to Horsehide to Cowhide, America's Pastime. 
July 8, 1949. Hank Thompson, who broke into the majors as a member of the St. Louis Browns 12 days after Larry Doby's American League debut with the Indians in 1947, becomes the first African-American to play for the Giants. When the former Kansas City Monarchs standout faces Dodger right-hander Don Newcomb, it marks the first time a pitcher-batter confrontation takes place between black players in the major leagues. July 8, 1962. With the help of Stan Musial's three home runs, the Cardinals soundly defeat the Mets at the Polo Grounds 15-1. The man, who at the age of 41, becomes the oldest major leaguer ever to accomplish defeat, misses an opportunity for another at-bat in the ninth inning after being replaced in the previous frame by pinch runner Bobby Gene Smith. July 8, 1994. Red Sox shortstop John Valentin snares Mark Newfield's sixth inning line drive, steps on second base retiring Mike Blowers, and then tags the runner coming from first Kevin Mitchell to turn an unassisted triple play. After completing the rare feat, accomplishing a play that has only occurred 10 times in Major League history, the infielder begins a back-to-back-to-back home run outburst by Boston in the bottom of the frame, helping the team defeat the Mariners 4-3 at Fenway Park. Runners are gone, and the pitch is lined right to the shortstop. They'll go to second base for two, and they will run the ball all the way back to that's, uh, I guess it's a triple play. They tagged the runner, then wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Mike Blowers. Wait, there's, there, that's only two outs. Well, that's only two outs unless he ran the ball all the way back to first and went. Uh, no, he tossed the ball to the mound. That, that, there are only two outs. Let's have another look. All right, the runners are going. Runners are going. Line drive to the shortstop. Okay. That's one. Valentin goes over to the bag for two and tags. Oh, oh, he and he tags. Okay, that's it. There he is. Keith Mitchell. Cat. So how about that? That, my friends, unassisted on an play. unassisted triple play. Unbelievable. Watch this. A line drive off the bat on Mark Newfield. That's one. He'll go to the bag. Valentin, two. And here coming down from first base is Keith Mitchell. Tag him out. Thank you very much. Unassisted triple play. July 9th, 1903. In a tri-state league contest against York, Dan McClellan throws a perfect game. The Philadelphia Giant Hurler is the first black pitcher to accomplish the feat in professional baseball. July 9th, 1969. Tom Seaver's near-perfect game, immortalized as the imperfect game, is broken up when Cubs rookie outfielder Jim Qualls, a lifetime 223 hitter, who will only finish his career with 31 hits, singles off of Seaver into center field. The 24-year-old right-hander who tosses five one-hitters for the Mets will finally get his no-no in 1978 against St. Louis, pitching for the Reds. Seaver is almost perfect. His speed and control are brilliant. Ernie Banks is just one victim of his 11 strikeouts. 
he gets flawless support from his teammates before 59,083 fans, a record turnout in Shea Stadium. When he strikes out Al Spangler, he's pitched eight full innings of scoreless, hitless baseball. Nancy Seaver holds back her emotions as a huge crowd watches every pitch. The first Cub up in the ninth. Randy Hutley tries a spoiling bunt, but Seaver throws him out. Two outs to go to a perfect game. Jim Qualls, a rookie outfielder, is up. A clean hit to left center field, and there goes the perfect game. But there's a standing ovation for Seaver by 59,000 fans. It's still a near-perfect game when Don Kessinger flies out to end it. And it's a vital victory for the Mets. Back-to-back -back wins shake up the Cubs. July 9th, 1972. Striking out three Red Sox batters in the second inning en route to a 16K complete game performance against the Red Sox, Nolan Ryan becomes the third pitcher in baseball history to have struck out the side on nine pitches twice during his career. The Angels fireballer, who did it first with the Mets in 1968, joins Lefty Grove twice in 1938 and Sandy Koufax, 1962 and 1964, as the only other hurlers to have accomplished the feat. July 9th, 1996. Mike Piazza, who will be named the All-Star Games MVP, hits a moonshot into the upper deck at Phillies Veterans Stadium. The Dodger backstop also strokes an RBI double helping the National League to beat the American League 6-0. Goodbye, absolutely crushed. Well, Ted, if you're watching, whatever you told 12-year-old Mike Piazza, he listened very carefully. And indeed it is official. Philadelphia's native son wins the MVP award in his hometown. And here is acting commissioner Bud Selig to present the trophy. Thank you, Hannah and Mike. Congratulations. And on behalf of Major League Baseball, congratulate you for winning the 1996 Most Valuable Player Award in the All-Star Game. Richly deserved. Great performance. Congratulations. Thank you very much, Commissioner. All right, why don't you take the trophy, you. first of all. Thank you, Commissioner Seale. I appreciate it. Uh, Mike, you told us before the game that dreams come true, but could you ever have dreamed of this type of scenario, winning the MVP here in Philly? I, I, I really can. I mean, I'm just I'm trying to uh, keep, keep myself uh, calmed down, but uh, I'm very, very happy and uh, just very excited. It's a tremendous honor growing up in this ballpark, and uh, you know, just to, be, just to participate here is one thing, and then to, to do pretty well is another, is another thing. And you just came up right away in that huge shot off Nagy. Were you thinking home run when you came up or just that you wanted to do something special for the fans here? Well, not really. When you think home run, you get into trouble. So, I mean, I was just looking for a pitch to drive. And, uh, you know, fortunately for me, I got a pitch. And I didn't try to do too much with it, just put a good swing on it. And obviously, you know, it's, no, it's always not that easy. We know that. But uh, it just it felt good tonight just to put a nice swing on the ball. We talked to your father tonight. He could hardly describe what it meant for him to have you here, to have the success that you've had. He's the one person who's always believed in you oh absolutely my father is just uh, if it wasn't for him I wouldn't be here today he's 
He's just been a, obviously a big part of my life and inspiring me never to give up, believing in myself, you know, just the way my career has gone. And he said, hey, just look for an opportunity when you get it, work hard and, and Lord willing. And I've been blessed. And, and so, I mean, again, I'm, I'm very, very grateful and very, very honored. July 10th, 1934. At the All-Star Game played in New York's Polo Grounds, Giants pitcher Carl Hubble faces a starting lineup comprised of nine eventual Hall of Famers. After giving up a single and a walk to the first two hitters he faces, King Carl consecutively fans Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Jimmy Fox, Al Simmons, and Joe Cronin. At home in the polo grounds, giant left-hander Carl Hubble let the first two batters reach base in the 1934 All-Star Game. Up next was a trio as formidable as any ever assembled in a baseball lineup. Ruth, Gary, and Fox. Hubble struck all three out. He strikes out Babe Ruth. What I tried to do was to strike Ruth out. I was, he's the only one I was really trying to strike out. And when he returned to the mound in the second, Hubble fanned the next two hitters, Al Simmons and Joe Cronin, making it five future Hall of Famers in all. July 10th, 1962. JFK returns to DC Stadium and becomes the first president to throw out the ceremonial first pitch at an All-Star game, a three to one National League victory. In April, JFK, who will stay for the entire contest, threw the ceremonial first pitch at the Senators' home opener, the first game played in Washington's new $24 million ballpark. Washington's new $24 million stadium is jammed to capacity for the all-star game between the National and American Leagues. Included in this mob of nearly 46,000 people is the nation's number one fan who throws out the first ball. The crowd sees superb yet scoreless baseball until the sixth when Stan Musial pinch hits a single for the Nationals. This is Stan the Man's 22nd All-Star appearance. The old pro still has plenty on the ball. And back. Maury Wills of the Dodgers goes in to run for Musial. And look at that man run as he steals second. Dick Throat of the Pirates comes through with a single, and the fleet-footed Wills comes home from second to score the first run of the game. I wonder who he's rooting for. Throat moved to third on a fly ball, and then scores on an infield tap that puts the Nationals ahead, two to nothing. And the American League fans have their moments in the same sixth inning as Rich Rollins drops a hit over first base. Billy Moran of the Los Angeles Angels follows a long single to left center that sends Rollins to third base. Two on, Roger Maris coming to bat. Maris smashes one toward the 400-foot mark and runs right into a case of highway robbery. Willie Mays snares it as he crashes into the fence. Rollins scores the lone American League run after the catch. Maury Wills again puts the hex sign on the American Leaguers in the eighth. On Jim Davenport's hit, Wills razzle-dazzle draws the throw to second, but he scoots safely into third. Old Peeps can change the call of safe. 
Scarcely had the crowd recovered than they see Wills take off again as Felipe Alou fouls out to right. Warriors jet propelled burst brings in another national run. That makes it 3-1 for the National League. The president stays until the bitter end, and it is a bitter end for the American League, but a grand finale for Willie Mays as he pulls down Louis Aparicio's long ball for the final out. It was a National League victory 3-1 as both leagues played the kind of baseball you read about. July 10th, 2001. The first of two events at the All-Star Game. Derek Jeter becomes the first Yankee to homer in an All-Star Game in 42 years when he goes deep leading off the sixth inning off of John Weber at Safeco Field. Yogi Berra was the last Bronx Bomber to accomplish the feat, homering off of Don Drysdale in 1959. 45 as Jeter hits one to center. Back is Berkman at the wall. Jeter goes deep. Three to one American lead. Last year's All-Star Game MVP in his first debut in 2001 hits it to the deepest part of the park. Also the most valuable player in the World Series last year and American League pitchers do not like the fact that Derek Jeter is heating up for the Yankees. I mean deep to center. In his final All-Star appearance, Cal Ripken Jr. is named the MVP of the game. The Orioles shortstop's home run, along with consecutive dingers from Derek Jeter and Maglio Ordonez, Power the American League to its fifth victory in a row, beating the National League at Seattle's Safeco Field 4-1. In his final All-Star appearance, Cal Ripken Jr. is named the MVP of the game. The Orioles shortstop's home run, along with consecutive dingers from Derek Jeter and Maglio Ordonez, power the American League to its fifth victory in a row beating the National League at Seattle's Safeco Field 4-1. Cal Ripken Jr. stands in to lead it off for the American League in the bottom of the third. Standing ovation. It will grow as Ripken bats here in the third. The man of a thousand stances leads off, rips one, goodbye. Ripken homers in his final All-Star game. say Joe goodbye what a goodbye
His second All-Star Game home run. The 2001 All-Star Game in Seattle, Washington would be a good safeguard field would be a very important one for a number of reasons. Kyle Ripken Jr. would be, would be his final one. The man who broke the record for most consecutive games played would also become the MVP of this particular Midsummer Classic. As baseball said goodbye to a legend, home runs by Derek Jeter, Kyle Ripken Jr., Maggie Ordonez would give the American League its fifth win in a row and a score of 4-1. Kyle Jr. played his entire career in a Baltimore Orioles uniform, and, he and of course, he entered the Hall of Fame. This is Mark Brown from Portside to Cowhide. Thank you very much, and we'll see you real soon. July 11th, 1925. At Sportsman's Park, George Sisler becomes a one-man wrecking crew when he comes to the plate with the bases loaded in back-to-back -back frames in the Browns' 10-5 victory over Washington. The St. Louis first baseman drives in seven runs in two innings, tripling with the bases jammed in the third and hitting a grand slam in the fourth. July 11th, 1950. The Midsummer Classic returns to Comiskey Park, the site of the first game, and is won by the National League 4-3 thanks to Red Schoendeist's 14th inning home run. It's a game of firsts, First extra inning All-Star game, first time National League wins at an American League park, and the first Midsummer Classic ever broadcast on national television. It took 14 exciting innings to decide the baseball All-Star game of 1950. Boston star Ted Williams broke his elbow in a first inning collision with the Comiskey Park wall and the Nationals and Americans were tied at three runs apiece after nine frames. slugged a home run to win the game for the National League. It was the first extra inning game in All-Star history. July 11th, 1976. Hank Aaron becomes the oldest major leaguer, 42 years, five months, and seven days, to hit a walk-off home run when he goes deep in the bottom of the 10th inning off Steve Folkholt in the Brewers' 5-4 victory over Texas at County Stadium. The Hammer will hold the elderly distinction until Cleveland's Jason Giambi, who will be a month and 15 days older than Henry at the time, accomplishes the feat with a pinch-hit game-winning round tripper in 2013. July 11th, 1985. In a game won by Houston 4-3 in 12 innings at the Astrodome, Nolan Ryan fans Mets left fielder Danny Heap in the sixth inning 
becoming the first major leaguer to record 4,000 career strikeouts. The Ryan Express will end his 27-year Hall of Fame career whiffing 5,714 batters, establishing a major league mark unlikely to be challenged. Well, the story in tonight's game, six strikeouts by Nolan Ryan. He needs one strikeout to be the first man in the history of this great game to have 4,000 strikeouts. Strikeout number 4,000 for Nolan Ryan. Even manager Bob Lillis applauding what has to be one of the greatest feats in the history of this great game. Nolan struck out his first batter on September 1st or September 11th of 1966 for the New York Mets. And here he strikes out Danny Heap of the New York Mets for his 4,000th career. And the commissioner, Peter Uberoff, is here to see it. July 11th, 1989. In a contest best remembered for the leadoff Ruthian blast to center field by Bo Jackson, the game's MVP who will join Willie Mays as the second player to hit a home run and steal a base in an All-Star game, the American League beats the National League's best players 5-3 at Anaheim Stadium. During the inning of the Midsummer Classic, former U.S. President and one-time baseball announcer Ronald Reagan joins Vin Scully in the NBC broadcast booth. And as Bo Jackson comes up, we talked about Ozzie Smith and you wearing a Cardinal uniform. And Jackson wears baseball and football, and you did football. Uh, yes, I played the Gipper, but I also played for real in a much earlier time. But uh, that Bo down there, that's a pretty interesting hobby he has for his vacation. When baseball ends, he winds up uh, playing, uh, playing football I just, I don't know if there's ever been anyone doing it. Hey. He's remarkable, and look at that one. Bo Jackson says hello. for him to the end of this season when he goes back to the Los Angeles Raiders. Watch this again, sir. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Horsehide to Cowhide, America's Pastime. We thank Mark and Enzo for their return to the show on their analysis and memories of the events that happened. We also mention that all of the footage on this week's episode is used under the Fair Usage Act, We'll mention a few, publicdomainfootage.com, Major League Baseball, Fox Sports News, ESPN, so on and so forth. Tune in again next week for another edition of Horsehide to Cowhide, America's Pastime.
See you next week.